the comments heard on The View from a Pew are those of Mac McCoy and are not necessarily the opinions of his guests, his producer Garth, any one particular denomination or religion, the church lady, Mr. Lemke, Pastor Craig, or anyone else of sound mind and body. Now here is today's The View from a Pew, heard all around the world on YouTube. Just search for The View from a Pew. All right, good afternoon. It's a little bit after 4 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. We th- or Tuesday afternoon. We thank you for being here. This is The View from a Pew, available at any time on searching YouTube. Also, encourage you to search whatever podcast platform you use because Garth has got us on, well, about 16 of them. And so you should be able to go to your podcast and um, uh, look and find the view from a pew. So let's go to our Tuesday morning, and uh, Theo is on the phone line. He is an alumnus of Dallas Theological Seminary. And what is the big idea today, Theo? Okay, Mac, the big idea of the day for week 36 is the justified believer's new self lives in tension with the fleshy temptations of the old self. Today we are looking at the justified believer's relationship to the law and sin in Romans chapter 7, verses 19 through 20. Things have changed. As we saw in Romans chapter 6, our old self has died with Christ. Sin is no longer our master. But our fleshy desire to serve sin doggedly sticks around, constantly tempting the new self. The justified believer lives in this tension. So let's pray and review. Let's bow our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that we can be together today to study the book of Romans. Considering where we are in Christ, may we understand the justified believer's new self lives in tension with the fleshy temptations of the old self. Thank you for the gospel, the good news. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He rose on the third day according to the scriptures. In that process, he gave us the free gift of salvation through faith only. And now may everything we say and do be honoring to you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. When Mac and I led Romans Bible studies years ago, we noted that it's possible for some to get bogged down or stuck in the 16 chapters of Romans. So to help prevent getting stuck or bogged down, we've identified a most important verse, a most important paragraph, and a most important chapter. The most important verse is Romans 3.24 which says, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And we uh, recommend that people memorize that. The most important paragraph, which includes that most important verse, is chapter 3, verse 21 through chapter 3, verse 26. Even Martin Luther wrote in his Bible, that 321 through 26 of Romans is the chief point and the very central place of this 
book and of the whole Bible. As to the most important chapter, we've identified chapter 8. And how beautiful is this chapter that at the beginning tells the justified believer that there is now no condemnation. And at the end of the chapter, no separation from Christ Jesus. Let's look at the whole book of Romans, which is made up of five pillars of theology. Sin, chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20. Salvation, chapter 3, verse 21 through chapter 5, verse 21. Sanctification, chapters 6 through 8. Sovereignty, chapters 9 through 11. And service, chapter 12 through chapter 15, verse 13. So let's go to that first pillar of sin and review it. We find the clear idea that all people are sinners. According to Romans 3, verses 10 through 11, there is none righteous, not even one. None who does good, there is not even one. Let's go to the second pillar of salvation, chapter 321 through chapter 5. Here we see God's remedy for this sin problem. So let's quote from the New Living Translation Bible, chapter 3, verses 22 and 24, which, by the way, come out of that most important paragraph we identified earlier. It says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. No matter who we are, God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Now let's go on to sanctification, the third theological pillar found in chapters 6 through 8, and that's where we are today in our verses. Sanctification is becoming progressively more like Christ, set apart from the world. Once we are saved positionally, that is justified, what do we do? How do we live? Chapter 6 of Romans answers that question by explaining the justified believer's relationship to sin. Our old self died, figuratively, with Christ. The surviving new self is no longer under the mastery of sin. Unfortunately, though, as we discuss today, our flesh continues to serve sin. Now let's look at Romans chapter 7, where it discusses the justified believer's relationship to the law. Romans 7, 1 through 18, it says our new self has been released from the law and joined to Christ. Yet God's gift of the law continues to inform humans about what is sin. It's supposed to curb sin and, like a mirror, show humans their weakness and inability to be righteous. Paul, a justified believer, admits he is still of flesh or fleshy. This flesh continues then to tempt Paul to sinfulness. Though Paul desires to keep the law, he can't in his own strength. Justified believers of themselves cannot overcome this unexplainable and ever-present indwelling flesh that seeks to serve sin. As a result, for the justified or the unjustified who focus on obeying the Mosaic Law with our human will or desire, these will end in frustration. 
This, despite the fact that the Mosaic Law is good. Focusing on obeying the law is an attitude of, I got to, which ultimately leads to the frustration of legalism. Now for our new verses for the week, chapter 7, verses 19 and 20. Let's read Romans seven nineteen. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. This verse is very similar to verse 15, where it said, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. Again, Paul is describing the tension which exists between his spirit and his flesh. In his spirit, his new self wants to do good. Yet, the temptation of his flesh holds him back. Without the power of the spirit, the justified believer is unable to defeat the fleshly desire to serve sin. In civil law, this would be called nonfeasance. That is, failure to perform the right act or do the right act under the circumstances. For example, failure to stop and render assistance as a good Samaritan, or assist a lost child. This verse starts with the word good, where it says, For the good that I want, I do not do. People attach different meanings to the word good, depending on the context. Probably the simplest explanation is that no one is good except God alone. That comes from Luke 18, verse 19. So good is that which is consistent with God's nature. Accordingly, God is the standard for what is good. Goodness is a fruit of the Spirit of God, we see in Galatians 5.22. We know that the law is good, holy, and righteous. That comes from Romans 7.12. For us to have goodness is to have no evil. The contrast between light and darkness illustrates the contrast between good and evil. So with that explanation, we see Paul desiring to act and think in a godly way a good way. Yet he is unable to consistently do it, and he engages in some kind of evil. Paul is probably, in part, talking about his struggle with coveting he mentioned back in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. So now let's move on to Romans 7:20 and read it. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For emphasis, Paul is here restating the same idea of verses 16 and 17, where he states, But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, continuing, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Paul is here closely identifying with his new self, using the pronoun I, or in Greek, ego. He is explaining that his new self does not will to practice the evil. Therefore, his new self is not the one doing it. By contrast, it is the evil that dwells in his flesh. Paul's repetition is used to emphasize the very existence of our flesh, which remains though we are the new self. Justified believers are no longer under the mastery of sin, as was explained in chapter 6 of Romans. 
Simply put, though the newly justified believer is no longer a slave to the mastery of sin and no longer obligated to keep the law, there remains the fleshy, selfish human nature which seeks to serve sin. As we said in the big idea of the day, the justified believer will continue to be at tension with this fleshy nature for the rest of the justified believer's physical life. In this tension, the new self is under the mastery of the spirit. The new self wills to do good and not do evil. Yet the fleshy temptations will occasionally overcome the thoughts and actions of the justified believer. This will happen in various ways at various times and in various seasons. I might point out that if we look at the life of Israel's King Solomon, his fleshy selfishness increased with age. Therefore, we justified believers must remain vigilant of our fleshy nature and work daily to stay close to the Spirit. So there we are, Mac. That's week 36, and we'll look forward to uh, week 37 when we'll go on to Romans uh, 7, 21 through 23. Thank you, Theo. He is an alumnus of Dallas Theological Seminary. And he's an expert, in my humble opinion, of the Book of Romans. But we'd like to hear from you. Email me at Mac, M-A-C, like macaroni, at theviewfromapew.com. And thanks for listening. And thanks to Divine Truth Christian Stores for sponsoring the show. Divine Truth Christian Store, where you'll find more.